0: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Welcome to Forum. Storefronts across the Bay Area have been boarded up since March after shelter in place orders set in. Now, months into the coronavirus pandemic, online review site Yelp found that the Bay Area has among the most coronavirus closures in the nation and that at least 2,000 local businesses have permanently shut down. Many business owners have watched their revenues plummet and can no longer see a near or long term future for their businesses. We'll hear their stories and discuss the impact those closures have had on owners, workers, their communities, and the region's economy. Join us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. By now, people are becoming used to seeing social media posts and articles about their favorite businesses closing for good. Thousands of beloved Bay Area enterprises, from restaurants and boutiques to independent movie theaters and corner stores, have shut down during the coronavirus pandemic. And some owners thought they could write out shelter-in-place orders, but no longer see a viable future or can't afford carrying costs. The end of a business often spells the end of a dream, a community, years of hard work and livelihoods of owners and workers. And we're going to hear stories of Bay Area business owners and how this wave of closures could reshape the region's economy. And joining us to explain what's going on initially here is Jay Cheng. He's Public Policy Director of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. And Jay, welcome to the program. Good to have you.
3: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I appreciate your being here. And uh, this is uh, such a troubling time for so many. And I think the place to begin here is just to talk about the fact that some have been able to pivot, some have been able to find a way out of this, but we've had thousands of closures. And uh, you must be hearing some stories that, frankly, are nothing short of heartbreaking.
3: Yeah, it's a really painful time and a really emotional time for the small business community. You know, over 46% of all storefront businesses in San Francisco are indefinitely closed. That's over 1,200 storefronts in the city. And every week at the Chamber of Commerce, we get hundreds of calls from small business owners asking, how do I close my business? What, what, how can I serve my employees? How can I do right by my vendors? And it's a really painful process.
0: And it's painful in terms of not only losing the business in so many instances, but for many, this is their lifeblood. This is their passion. This is what they have dedicated their adult lives to. And in some instances it goes back generations even.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We, we always say that, you know, no one really starts a small business in San Francisco to make money, especially if you have a storefront business. The reason you started the small business in San Francisco, because you wanted to be part of a, a merchant corridor or a neighborhood. You wanted to be a gathering space for your neighbors and your residents. And so that's really the kind of spark of inspiration that a lot of people drive forward and it's that spark that's being extinguished right now during the pandemic when they're forced to close and many of them are making the hard decision to close permanently.
0: And it's awfully complicated and costly to shut down, isn't it?
3: Incredibly so. You know, people don't always think about what goes into a small business, but for a lot of them who are calling who are calling us saying that they need to close, they have big questions about their leases. Uh, A lot of them have personal guarantees attached to their small business loans. And so if they have to forfeit the loan, uh, those banks don't just come after their business. They may come after their homes or their personal uh, assets. And so for them, it's really a dramatic life and death situation and becomes very expensive when you talk about whether you can break a lease or you have existing obligations to vendors that you're, you're providing for.
0: And then a lot of them really want to figure out how they can best serve their employees or if they can serve them at all, but also how they can get help. And certainly the the, the first uh, initial wave that we had, uh, there were a lot of uh, kind of roller coaster rides. Uh, that's a poor metaphor because it's, uh, it's a ride that's much more death defying for many in terms of their businesses. But they had to close down uh, and then they opened up briefly and then they had to close down again. I mean, it's just terrible in terms of what the impact has been.
3: Absolutely. You know, we call this uh, a little bit of a start-stop economy, right? Back in June, a lot of us thought, well, this is going to get better. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So we were going to start reopening again. The mayor put out a reopening timeline that was very exciting for a lot of folks, only to see a second outbreak happen and everything shut down again. So we're really in a W shape, right? We go up and down, up and down again. And for a lot of folks, you know, they've never had to lay off employees before. They've never had to lay off all their employees before. And so they're reaching out to us saying, how can we make sure my employees get the most out of their unemployment benefits? What are they doing about health care? Right.
0: So many questions that you're beleaguered with and assailed with. Uh, you've got two full time staff that are handling this from the Chamber of Commerce.
3: That's right. You know, at the Chamber of Commerce, unfortunately, we've had to lay off our own staff. A third of our staff We're a small business, just like everybody else. And business is tough. But we've assign- assigned our existing staff to help deal with these calls Full time, And whether you're a member of the chamber or you're not a member of the chamber, uh, whether we know you or we don't know you, if you're a small business in San Francisco, we consider it our social obligation to support you through this really difficult time.
0: Well, it's certainly changing communities. It's also having an enormous effect on health care because many people who are employed have their health care through the places they're employed and small businesses, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, all that kind of dream of American success, a stereotype of American success story. It's not exactly getting flushed down the toilet or anything, but it certainly is being uh, in so many ways hampered and uh, interfered with. Uh, Think about people wanting to go into a business now and the kind of challenges they face because of the uncertainty of this pandemic. I'd like to hear from, well, if you're an owner of a business that has or could go out of business, let's hear your experience. Or you can tell us what shuttered businesses in your community will you miss most. You can give us a call now and I invite you to do that at our toll-free number, and join us at 866-733-6786. That number, again, for your calls, toll-free, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or any comments or stories you may have to share with us to forum at kqed.org. And we should say also uh, Jay Cheng with us again, who is Public Policy Director of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce uh, unfortunately, San Francisco is really way ahead of uh, the nation, at least third in terms of big cities and in terms of closures. But also when you include San Francisco, Hayward and Oakland, it's second in, in terms of big or temporary total closures. Um, what, what do Say something about the accounting of that. Uh, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the cost of doing business here and the rent and so forth, but other factors as well.
3: Yeah, you know, San Francisco has always been famous for being one of the most difficult cities in the country to start and run a small business. You know, Arizona State University put out a really popular report last year where they tracked all 50 major metropolitans in the U.S. And San Francisco came out on top as the worst place to start a small business. I think most small business owners will tell you they were already on the margin before this. Back in March, when uh, the pandemic first happened, they were saying one week of bad foot traffic is going to knock me out. And many of them closed that first week because they didn't have enough capital to sustain. And so that's one of the reasons why we're one of the top uh, metropolitan places uh, to have the largest number of closures. Our businesses were simply not built to sustain it, and they were already on the threat.
0: And this was always a big restaurant town. Uh, Tourists came here in many instances because of the restaurants. Over half the restaurants in San Francisco are closed. And what was the sales volume down? 95%.
3: That's right, restaurants are down 95%. You know, a lot of people hear that stat and they are really surprised. They're like, well, so many people are doing takeout nowadays. But what's important to realize is that takeout is not priced at the same level as those in sit down uh, dining meals. And the uh, restaurants don't make the same kind of margins. You can't charge as much. And so the sales volume for restaurants are down 95% since March. Uh, takeout and delivery simply does not do enough to make up that that difference.
0: Let me read an opinion from a listener, uh, and you can indeed, we invite you to share your opinions with us either on Twitter and Facebook or by phone. Uh, Chris writes, the problem with small businesses having to fold comes from the root cause of the housing shortage. It makes everything more expensive. It makes businesses that much closer to the edge of solvency all the time. If the ineffective supervisors and legislators around our state are bemoaning the loss of businesses, they should blame themselves in the mirror for doing nothing effective to cure the housing problem. Some strong sentiments there about uh, those holding public office. But uh, Jay, housing really is tied to this.
3: Housing really is tied to this. You know, San Francisco has uh, never had that large of a population ourselves. So much of our traffic and consumer traffic really comes from people outside of uh, in other Bay Area cities traveling into San Francisco during the work day and shopping and eating in San Francisco and then going back home, back out to the suburbs. That's over a million people every day that used to come into our downtown and then leave at night. That's doubles our population overnight, doubles the amount of consumers that each business has overnight. And so all of those people are now gone. They're working from home in Burlingame or Marin County, and you see that impact on the streets.
0: And again, Jay Cheng is Public Policy Director of San Francisco's Chamber of Commerce. We're going to go to some calls, and let me uh, go first to Stephanie Palladino. And Stephanie Palladino is the former owner of Bombshell in Burlingame. Stephanie, welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. I said former owner because you've had to close your doors, huh?
2: Yeah, unfortunately we did just this past month.
0: I'm so sorry. Let's talk about what compelled that. Tell us your story.
2: Um, you know, it went from being a calculated risk to keep our doors open to just being plain risky. Um, I'm a single mom and um, like um The guy before me mentioned with housing, you know, I have to pay rent. Um, I have three kids and I can't go into debt over my business. Um, I would say I own it with my sister or I did own it. Um, And I would say we're pretty conservative financially, but creative at the, you know, in the same respect. Um, And I just couldn't take a chance getting into debt. Our landlord is a really nice guy. But if you don't pay rent, it's just getting stacked up and we fundraised we had some savings we covered the first couple of months we were closed with savings. we fundraised to our clientele which we have an amazing client base. We raised around 10 grand within a couple weeks to pay the next few months but at that point the money was gone and if I have to choose between paying the rent to put a roof over my children's head and the my workplace, I, we just couldn't swing it. Um, And besides that, you know, a lot of us are locked into leases. And if we were to break the lease, we could be liable for tens of thousands of dollars. We're on Burlingame Avenue. Um, The rent is high. Um, We talked to our landlord and we were really scared. We couldn't pay the rent, but we also didn't want to potentially be sued for, you know, upwards of $40,000 for breaking the lease. And he basically gave us a buyout option and we were forced to take it.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry that you went through all this. Uh, I mean, it just sounds uh, maddening. And I know you've been in business for 14 years and to have to choose yeah. between your, as you put it, choose between your business and your home uh, it's just a terrible situation, uh, an untenable situation to be in. Must have been somewhat gratifying, though, to get all the support from your clients that you got.
2: It was. I. I wouldn't say I was shocked because I know how amazing they are. We try. We have tried to become a part of our community, and you know, donate to causes, donate to the schools. We're at people's weddings, at their baby showers. We. Excuse me, Stephanie, we should
0: about. talk about what your are It's an eyebrow business, basically. I think we haven't even said that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. 14 years ago, that was, you know, that was strange. People were like, what are you charging to just do eyebrows? And, you know, it just took off. And that's been our business for 14 years. And when was, the hard thing for me is when we closed our doors, you know, if you went on Yelp and looked us up, we had the most reviews. We had the highest reviews. We were booked out a month. Um, we weren't flailing. It just came down to simply numbers and what was, you know, too financially risky, along with school closures and daycare closures. You know, my kids' daycare was closed. My kids' schools were closed. And so people are having to make the choice between going to work and caring for their children. And, you know, that was a big part of it, too, is both my sister and I have infants. There's no one to leave them with if there's no daycare um excuse
0: me you're also in a kind of a maddening position for a while because when you f- were told you could open up you opened up briefly right uh and then you had a shutdown right after you went to the trouble getting ppe and all the rest of it
2: yes yeah so and there's all the money invested in the ppe we got about three quarters of the way through and we're waiting for supplies to come in and i said you know what i just have a feeling we're going to end up closing down again. And they did close us down. And now I think San Mateo County, you're allowed to perform some beauty services outdoors. But we didn't have access to an outdoor situation anyway. So that wouldn't have worked.
0: Well, again, I'm so sorry for what you've been experiencing and what you've had to endure. And I just wish you the best of luck. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning, Stephanie. That's Stephanie Palladino, former owner of Bombshell in Burlingame. Let me bring a caller on. Frank is joining us. Frank, good morning.
1: Good morning. Um, I've got a small law office, which on the surface would sound uh, like I'm I'm sitting pretty because everybody's got all these disputes, but the resource that I sell is trial experience. I'll take you to court or take you for court, and right now all the courts are closed to civil trials. So if you're trying to negotiate a a lease or try to work something out, um, the ultimate hammer is – uh, sorry, the jury's going to see it differently. And that doesn't exist anymore. So the negotiations that you're involved in are closing down. There's also an intake issue, which is I get my business from other lawyers or from people at lunch or people that I'm I'm trying to meet with, and nobody's, nobody can do that anymore. So ironically, um, I've, I've got a service, and what I'm doing is measuring out the last few clients and hoping that I can survive long enough until so both sides of the equation open up, uh, the courts and and the intake lines. So it, 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 I, I'm kind of a second order derivative of the problems that you're hearing from the other people who are calling in.
4: Yeah, but you're um, in a I'd tough like spot. i to be able to
1: help people. You
4: are in a well. Tough yeah, spot.
1: I've, closed, I've, I've closed the wagons. I've got my PPE loans. I'm paying my people, and uh, there's there's a I'm watching the the bank account go click 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 just like everybody. So. It, uh, it, it's ironic, but it, it hurts.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it does, and I thank you for sharing your story. Uh, that's Frank, uh, let me bring another caller on here. Andrea joins us from Oakland. Andrea, welcome.
5: Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I have a lovely little boutique in Montclair Village in Oakland, and we have been able to be open and um, full-time for the last month or so. And um, my daughter and I do it with a couple of other women and we have a neighbor in the village who wants to open up her business, and she can't because her employees don't want to come back because they're getting too much money on unemployment, more than than she's able to pay them. She pays them the you know normal amount. So, well, Andrea, uh, I thank I you I, for that
0: call. This, this is something that the Republicans have continued to bring up uh, as. Uh, Well, when they were fighting the $600 uh, relief. Let's talk about that with you, Jay Cheng, uh, for a moment, but also uh, uh, talk about the money that isn't coming in and that may not be coming in as uh, Congress continues to fight over Uh, what is right here, and uh, people are left out in the cold. Uh, I mean, you must hear a lot of stories about people who just didn't get the loans that they needed in small business or uh, applied for uh, paycheck protection and didn't get that. I mean, these stories are legion, aren't they?
3: Absolutely, and I think we hear about them in the news all the time. But I think there's even a higher point that you're making. You know, the PPP loans, they were only meant to last two and a half months of payroll for any company. That those two and a half months are coming to a close. They're over. And so even businesses who did receive the PPP loans have found out that money has run out and now are making difficult decisions again to lay off employees and close their businesses permanently. The fact is that you know, government loans and grants are really good and we support them, but they can't replace customers, which is what you're hearing from so many people. Um, the woman who owned the eyebrow shop, uh, her customers tried to pull together funds for her, but it doesn't replace having that actual business. And so we're seeing um, that kind of government assistant come run out and come to a close. Especially what about the argument you heard
0: from Andrea, though, that there are people who are saying uh, I'm doing better now uh, collecting unemployment. And uh, do you, have you heard much of that?
3: You know, it's interesting. We, we hear both sides of that equation. We hear some businesses who are saying my employees aren't being, going to come back. They're scared of the pandemic. Uh, make, they're making enough money on unemployment. For those businesses, you know that unemployment bonus is going to run out very quickly, or it's already run out, um, and so those employees will be put back onto the market very quickly. We hear other businesses, like grocery stores, who are talking about they can't find enough employees um, to hire, uh, or they uh, they have too many employees that are trying to come back, but they're worried that they can't hire enough because of shelter in place regulations. So we're hearing both sides of that equation, absolutely.
0: Again, Jay Cheng is Public Policy Director of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. We're going to bring Neil Gottlieb on. He's the founder of Three Twins Ice Cream that closed in April. And, Neil, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us.
6: Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here, although I wish it was under different circumstances.
0: Well, I do, too. And I've had, I have had—I must say I've had your ice cream, and it's quite good. Uh, my dad worked in an ice cream factory, so I know of what I speak here. You uh, uh, always do. <laughs> no, but you uh, your story is really a, an extraordinary story in many ways, because I know that you opened this affordable organic ice cream operation back in 2005 without any business experience. It's kind of one of these Horatio Alger stories in terms of small business. Uh, and then you were running on pretty slow margins, uh, as I understand it, uh, but we're looking for a reinvestment. The pandemic put the kibosh on that, huh?
6: Exactly. You know, I made the bet a long time ago that by offering great stuff at an affordable price, we could scale up and eventually those low margins would make sense. But um, we faced kind of a death of a thousand cuts and various challenges, and we're in the process of raising money both with our Japanese business partners and then with a number of people domestically that we were talking with. And the pandemic just just completely dried it up.
0: And now, uh, have you had to reinvent yourself?
6: Um, it's less reinventing myself but more you know I've been very fortunate taking 15 years of experience and finding opportunities um, left and right um, you know you kind of have to hustle in this kind of environment but I've been able to pick up some advisory roles and now have a job offer to start a direct consumer paint company in Singapore of all places which of course is a country that Americans can't go to so that's presenting its own
0: challenges. And at this point What would you say for those who are looking towards some kind of entrepreneurial life or small business to start?
6: I would say, you know, look in the mirror, um, see what your skills are, and don't be afraid to broadcast into the world. Um, LinkedIn works incredibly well for me. Unlike other social media platforms, there's so much less noise. So write an article. Let people know what you're facing. Let people know what you're good at and suggest ways to help them. Um, And then put yourself out there. Um, You might be very surprised that, How much attention you can get on a platform like LinkedIn, where people are very eager and willing to help each other out.
0: Do you have any message for consumers? I know uh, some of the people who were regular at your ice cream places uh, tried to help out, didn't they?
6: Yeah, I mean, support local. Um, Don't don't just share things on Facebook. Get out there or order food. Um, Go to the local shops, buy from local bookstores. Um, do everything you can do to support those businesses in your community that you want to be here in a year, because if you don't, we will simply go away.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck, and I'm sorry that you lost the business, uh, but I think your attitude speaks for itself. Uh, it's a strong and good one, and in fact, it had something to do with uh, reading up about your funding 12,000 acres of ice cream, <laughs> the possibility of uh, uh, funding organic ice cream uh, type of growing.
6: Yeah, we, um, we purchased six square feet of land or funded the purchase of six square feet of land with the purchase of each pint, and that was a great lesson that over time had funded the purchase of over 12,000 acres of land. So while three twins might be gone, um, at least there's a little bit of a legacy there.
0: Yeah, there's more than a little bit of legacy. It's a good deal to be proud of and uh, appreciate the time you spent with us, Neil. Good luck to you. Thank you, Michael. That's Neil Gottlieb. He's the founder of Three Twins Ice Cream. They closed down in April, unfortunately. We'll hear from some more owners who have faced uh, well, the pandemic, the dragon that we're all facing. If you have something you'd like to add to this conversation, please feel free to join us. Toll-free number is 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum. Or email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is forum i'm michael krasny are you an owner of a business that has or could go out of business you can share your experience with us or tell us what shuttered businesses in your community you will miss most you can give us a call right now at 866-733-6786 that number again for your calls 866-733-6786 or get in touch with us on twitter and facebook we're at kqed forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Jay Cheng with us, public policy director for the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. And let's bring another caller aboard. That's Mary Dell. Mary Dell. Welcome. Good morning. Hi.
5: Um, I'm the owner of Far Horizons. We're a tour company in the North Bay. I just wanted to comment that there are dozens of major tour companies in the Bay area, and we're all struggling. The, It's not only – we've canceled all of our tours through 2020. We do international tours all over the world. Um, And I know I've talked to owners of other tour companies, and they're doing the same thing. It's a real struggle to stay alive. The um, PPP and EIDL has helped somewhat, but we're fast running out of money. People Um, are afraid
0: to travel. That's the central problem, isn't it? I I was going
5: to say it's not just that they're afraid to travel, but, of course, you know, America is in such a bad – Date, as far as coronavirus that uh, we're shut down out of most countries in the world. So yeah. it's not just that we that people don't want to get on a trip, but even if they did, they can't go because no, we're we persona non grata
0: unfortunately, you're absolutely right yeah. I'm sorry you're going through this um, and thank you for weighing in with us and and I appreciate your call. In fact, let me read a comment from a listener. I'll go back to you on this, Jay Cheng. Uh, Jay Cheng is public policy director with the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. There's a listener named Samuel writes, I'm concerned that after we come out the other side of this crisis, there will be a smaller percentage of independently owned businesses. Can one of, uh, well, he's asking, I'm going to ask a question to you, Jay. Can you speak uh, to the long-term impact on the percentage of businesses owned privately as opposed to those owned by larger investment firms or corporate chains?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an excellent question. You know, If you're a smaller business right now, you just have less resources uh, to survive this. If you're a larger employer or you're a larger business, you have the opportunities and scale to pivot or to move to a different uh, different state or a different city. I I think the long-term impacts on the Bay Area is not just having less independent businesses, a less percentage of independent businesses. It's having less businesses, period. We're seeing so many businesses that are realizing they can work in other markets. They can hire in Denver and Austin or Chicago, Memphis, and it's cheaper and their workers are just as talented. They don't have to be in San Francisco or the Bay Area. And they're making that decision right now.
0: I want to read another uh, narrative by a listener named Sandra who writes, people in government don't understand what it's like to be a small business owner at all. I signed a lease for my 17-year-old dance studio business in March of 2019, and the planning department delayed our simple plans to remodel the space for over a year. Meanwhile, the rent payments continue to be due. They also informed us last December that we'd need to pay almost $100,000 for something called transportation abatement. This was a devastating blow already, and then COVID-19 hit in March. The city has not given us any help at all, even though we applied for multiple assistance programs, and they told us we couldn't have that mammoth fee reduced because... We didn't own the building. And Sarah writes, I'm a professional who has an office, small place in Redwood City. My business dried up immediately in March and I kept paying rent. Then in July, I then asked the landlord if she could drop the rent 50% so I could continue to pay and we could discuss the missing money when things leveled out. The answer was no. So I have packed up all my stuff out of my office and now I fear that she will come after me. We need the governor to speak in much stronger terms about finding ways to work together in these circumstances. Let me bring another caller on to Randy in Emeryville. Randy, welcome. You're on the air.
5: Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, like many of the other uh, commenters, I've benefited from the PPP loan, EIDL, the emergency response, uh, and the money is starting to run out. We are we run a company called Perfect Video Conferencing, and
7: our challenge is that we build conference rooms that people currently aren't going to, and that when they are asking for our help, they we get a lot of more we're getting a lot more web traffic nationally. Uh, But people are then pivoting and going to Amazon or some of the online e-tailers to to fulfill the things that people need in their home offices to do video conferencing. So while their hearts are in the right place and are asking us for help, we want people to shop more locally. And we're just seeing that um, the profits that we would usually make in this stuff going off to those large conglomerates, there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of that
3: tunnel either.
0: Yeah, well, I thank you for that, Randy, and appreciate hearing from you. That's Randy from Emeryville. Let me bring Kenlyn Wilson on now, who owns Kenlyn. That's a boutique uh, clothing store in Larkspur, recently closed down. And Kenlyn, welcome to the program. I'm sorry you had to shut your doors, but thank you for joining us this morning.
7: Thank you, Michael, and thank you for the doing this segment because I have to say it's been a very lonely journey, and I've taken this whole situation a little personally and it's just been very helpful to hear that there are other business owners that are going through this as well and so hopefully there can be some golden lining and knowing that while everyone says we're in this storm altogether it feels like some of us have uh, luxury yachts and others of us are in a canoe without a paddle
0: <laughs> well, Tell us why you characterize this as something you take personally
7: Um. It just, it's been a very lonely journey in that, you know, I'm a, a entrepreneur, I make my own line of knitwear and leather goods, and so I consider my business to be more artisanal than, you know, just a regular small business, and because I work alone, it just has felt very lonely, and that, you know, even as this started happening, I would put out the chalkboard sign, even though my my store was shuttered for over three and a half months, I put out a sign that said, you know, buy local or buy buy local. And just to really try to bring awareness to the community that even though there's the shelter in place that's happening and everyone is then shopping online, if you do have to shop online to try to support those local online retailers versus just Amazon, Target, and Costco, and, you know, not to name people out but it just it's felt very isolating and I think that's also part of what this um, shelter in place has done is you know social distancing and it's really made all of us go inward and that there just feels like there's a lack of community and that we we don't get to see our regular customers we don't get that one-on-one contact and so not only has it been really hard on well, financially, I mean, it's been devastating, but it's also, I think, the emotional component of this, it doesn't really get talked about that much.
0: I'm sorry, and I thank you for being so candid about your own emotions on this score, because I'm sure many share and empathize. Uh, I certainly hope a great number empathize. Uh, This is, uh, in many ways, making you feel like everything's on the line here for you, isn't it? You said devastating, yeah?
7: For sure. I mean, I think the one thing that's been really hard is that, you know, I worked really diligently in trying to negotiate with my landlord and was ultimately unsuccessful. And there's been, you know, with the PPP loans and the EIDL loans, there's been a lot that's been put out to help us cover salaries, but not really any uh, legislation that's been put forth to help us cover rents. And in the Bay area rent is, you know, one of our largest, well, for me, my largest liability. And so I know that there was a Senate bill that was, I think it was the nine three nine that was supposed to help us small businesses, that if we were forced to close, that we would not be liable for the remainder of our lease. And as um, Jay Chang mentioned that there was also for um, some commercial leases personal guarantees that put us at risk, and that is definitely my case. And so it's just been not only you know financially it's it's devastating. I've lost the income of my storefront, but then also just worrying about what am I liable for for the remaining. The remainder
0: of my lease, and you feel like it's a mark against you. I'm sure many people do, but uh, there has been. And I hope this is some light in the tunnel. New York Times, for example, had an editorial where they strongly urged a national moratorium on small business debt collection, and I think uh, maybe the yeah. time, maybe the time has come yeah. for that. Huh? What's the next that steps would... for you, if if I can ask, Kenlin? What what are you planning um,
3: doing? So I
7: mean, I'm a big believer in adapt or die. Um, So I'm trying to adapt as quickly as I can. Um, I've moved a lot of my business to online. um, But however, so much of what I do is artisanal and it's about touch and the touch and feel of my, my knits and my products. And so I am doing the online and as well I have in, I brought my, moved my business home and in my backyard I have, I'm lucky enough to have a little uh, studio that I've turned into a showroom, and hopefully can invite my customers over to to shop in a garden setting that's one-on-one and safe and um, lots of fresh air moving around, and that works well. We have good weather. When the rain comes, I'm not sure. And I'm sure that this is, you know, for me just the beginning of what is next. And but for me, this is, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program it's like this is my dream, this is my livelihood and my passion is my art and so I have to keep going and I have to pay for my house and so hopefully I'll just be able to find new ways to generate revenue. But you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful and yet some days it's hard to see the light.
0: Oh, I will continue uh, to share your hope, uh, and I hope many will Thank you. as well. Thank you for joining us, and good luck to you. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, let me read some comments that are coming in. Matt emails to us, I had a small candy business, Heavenly Taste Toffee, that went under last year, and I really feel for people right now. You put in everything into your project, and it is your life. I actually had a woman reach out a few weeks ago to place an order, which was nice that people are still thinking of us now. I'm just working, paying off my business debts. And Martha writes, the situations being described here demonstrate so vividly why the feds need to get on the stick. We're drowning out here, both workers and small businesses. Cut the politics and help us. I get a comment from you on that, uh, Jay Chang, especially since I mentioned that editorial uh, in The New York Times, uh, which talked about a national moratorium on small business debt collection uh, it's 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 hard to put uh, a good deal of faith in federal help here, but at the same time, uh, one can't completely dismiss the possibility.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that locally, Mayor London Breed and on the statewide, Governor Gavin Newsom have done a lot to try and help small businesses. But we really need a larger uh, intervention here from the federal government Uh the state is, has a large budget, but it's nothing compared to the federal government state and nothing compared to the federal government's power. And until they are able to step in, uh, you can really see the impact that we've had on our entire economy. Think about how impactful the PPP loans were when they first came out, how much hope they had provided uh, to small businesses when they were first announced. And now that there's no follow up on that, we're really seeing that pain, uh, as people are describing. So we need larger intervention. Uh, like you were talking about with the New York Times op-ed. And I think what's really relevant is that we don't have a lot of programs that are helping cover rent. Eviction moratoriums are good. Uh, many of those moratoriums don't mean that you're uh, forgiven for that rent. That rent just gets pushed off to a later date. And so programs like loans to help cover that rent are more critical at this time.
0: You know, the, the policy director of the Washington Center on Equitable Growth, Amanda Fisher, came out with a statement. And I'd like to get your response, Jay. She said... I mean, we keep hearing about uh, the existential crisis of climate change and it's real and it's palpable. Um, But she said this is like an extinction event. It's like in some ways, uh, I mean, the word apocalypse has been used a bit too loosely loosely and promiscuously, if I may say so. But you feel like things are really, in in terms of community and binding uh, the the, the businesses and bind communities together, small businesses, uh, are moving towards some kind of extinction.
3: Absolutely. And you know, I have to say that this isn't an economic crisis. This is a public health crisis, right? It it wasn't that our economy uh, had weak points, although I'm sure they existed. A lot of this stems from public health. And so until we can get the pandemic under control, we will not be able to recover our economy. We'll never be able to bring back our small businesses. And really, that's where the federal government has failed. The inability to get the pandemic under control, the inability to bring medical resources to the table makes this Uh, an extinction level event. This isn't the last pandemic we'll see, right? For uh, America, this is one of the first major pandemics we've had. But for Asia, they've experienced three or four pandemics around SARS or avian flu. And so we need to be prepared for this going forward.
0: And let me read another comment from Kathleen who writes, as a native San Franciscan, I was always proud of the diversity of my city. Of course, that diversity includes food and food choices. We know not only Chinese or Mexican food, but the provincial and regional differences of food from a multitude of regions. My fear is that San Francisco may become just another corporate food court, a shadow of its once deliciously diverse self. And Desi poses this question. And I'll go back to you, Jay Chang. She says, what's the prospect for the landlords who lose renters? Who will take those spaces? Will they undergo losses themselves? Some thoughts from you on that?
3: Yeah, we're hearing from a lot of property owners who own commercial storefronts who say, I get it, Um, uh, my tenants can't pay their rent, I can't force them to pay their rent, that's fine. I'm gonna have to default on my mortgage and it's gonna become a distressed property. And that's when larger hedge hedge funds or really large investment properties are gonna step in and snap up those properties if we're not careful. And so that's partially why we have to make sure we're protecting those small property owners in this process. Um, And we have to think about how interconnected everybody is in this process. If those storefronts stay vacant, there's a long-term impact on the back end of
0: that. I again, Jay Cheng is Public Policy Director for the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. Let me bring John Rittmaster into this. John Rittmaster is the former co-owner of Prima Italian Restaurant in Walnut Creek. And John, uh, it's hard to hear the word former because I know you were an institution, what, 43 years in business?
4: Yeah, 43 years that we were a restaurant and a wine store and started in 1977. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh it's an emotional time for us for sure. Yeah, I'm so
0: sorry about what you're going through here. You closed in March, huh?
4: We closed uh the, restaurant. the county. Yeah. yeah, we closed the restaurant in uh, March 17th. It was a, a date none of us will ever forget. That's for sure. And yeah.
0: you had the business actually I, I think if I have it right Peter Chastain who was your chef, Chef Peter was there with you for 21 years and became a partner. Um Now, the restaurant, which was really kind of prime eating and uh, like its name, uh, Primo or Prima, uh, you've had to go into the wine business uh, to sustain yourself. The wine business has been where you've fallen, huh?
4: Well, no, it's not entirely true. We were a wine store and a restaurant together. Of course, we were uh, my partner, I, I still call him my partner, he's my ex partner, Peter, is a genius and a super, super smart guy and one of the most passionate. Uh, and, and just accomplished people you could ever work with. And our restaurant had a great, great reputation. Uh, but it's always been a wine store as well. And I joined 26 years ago and Peter 21, and we bought the business in 2005 together. Uh, he said when we bought the business in 2005, he couldn't believe he was buying a wine store. And then I say, hell, I'm buying a restaurant. <laughs> what about me? Uh, but uh, uh, that's kind of how it's been. But uh, now, uh, Peter, you know, w- we talked a long time about what we were going to do when, when all of this happened. And we talked about doing takeout and all these other kind of things. And, uh, quote, pivoting is not the easiest thing to do It's, it's when you've got a reputation uh, like we had, doing the same thing and, as a takeout sort of. Uh, it, it, that sort of way wasn't ever going to be successful for us, and it was. It was. Uh, Peter said, "You know, this is, just isn't going to work." And uh, uh, so he, uh, uh, you know, we, we made the decision together that we were going to end the partnership, and the restaurant was going to close, and the wine store would continue on. And so it has been. But it, it is uh, every day is uh, another heartbreak. Is uh, our customers have been so wonderful, so wonderful. We did a. A kind of a GoFundMe thing, and we made a, you know, just all kinds of donations and words of, of, uh, of, of grief and, and anecdotes about the history of the place, and every time you hit one, it's like getting hit, get one, it's like getting hit in the solar plexus again, uh, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs>
0: yeah, again, I'm so sorry for what you've been through. At least you have the wine shop still open. How many employees did you have to let go?
4: Well, we were uh, uh, at our peak, we were 60 employees, and now with our two kind of uh, part-timers, an IT consultant, a guy who helps us buy spirits, and and our controller, we're seven. So that's, you know, 52 people, I guess, ultimately, that we had to lay off and... uh, uh, they're out there, you know, working in Safeway and other restaurants and kind of working in, in other businesses or else they're just unemployed. It's really, really sad. You're every, grieving, uh, aren't you, you John? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not too Didn't strong you know? a word here. You're grieving. Yeah. <laughs> every single day, Michael, every every single day. It's it's, it's really been horrible. Yeah, I'm so sorry.
0: Um, at at this point, um, we've been talking about federal help. Uh, Any thoughts about that? Any hope with that?
4: Well, you know, the restaurant is gone. You know, it's going to, once it's been pushed off a cliff and, you know, we're renegotiating with our landlord to try to keep the wine store in place. Uh, And I think it's going to work. Uh, Our landlord has been super, super gracious. And, uh, uh, but still, you know, our PPP money went where it was supposed to go. And uh, uh, the other funds that we got, you know, we've, used to the best of our ability we have a reputation in the business as being someone good to do business with in other words our vendors uh have extended uh, lots of you know credit to us over the years and we've a reputation as a good paying business so that puts us in an awkward position and we're trying to pay our bills we're still paying food bills from march for crying out loud but you know uh it's going to take some private help, you know. We think to keep us going. Uh, I don't. <laughs> relying on the government is is not going to be a, a solution. I don't think for anyone because it's too irregular and too inc- too inconsistent, and no one knows what the strings are are going to be like. And uh, you know, our business has always been really, really small and super, super skinny. We did it with no debt, with <laughs> very little margin in the restaurant and the wine store has sometimes some years completely supported the restaurant and some years vice versa. But boy, it's, it's, uh, you know, you got to do it on your own or I I wouldn't count on anyone from the government helping.
0: Well, let me, first of all, give you kudos for what you built uh, and for the social capital and obvious integrity that you've put into this business. And Uh, I wish you the best. I hope. uh, Yeah. Thank you. And thanks, Peter. I I know
4: uh, my my partner's out there listening too. And, all the people who are listening that have had something to do with our 43 years. Thanks.
0: Well, you've got a lot of legacy there and uh, treasure it, cherish it, and thank you for joining us. So I'm going to read some more comments that are coming in here from listeners. Ed Wright, uh, I'd writes, I've been. It's been 47 years in business, over $200 million in retail sales. I opened my business in 1973, reached 30 million annual sales, over 100 well-paid American employees. Sadly, with the current COVID-19 lockdown, I am reaching the end of the line. I may be forced to shut down my business soon. So sorry again for that. Um, Here is uh, Nate who writes, I'm a music teacher and performer. I own a piano studio that used to teach 90 to 100 students per week. I'm now down to 30 students online only. I've lost two-thirds of my income and all of my inspiration. Doing anything in person is impossible. And Brandon says, didn't we bail out the banks during the recession and they caused the problem? Couldn't they reciprocate as this crisis was not our fault? If banks relieve landlords, landlords could relieve tenants. There's an idea. Jay Cheng, thoughts?
3: You know, I think that during this time, uh, everyone kind of wants to point to a different part of the economy and say, like, can you save us? Can you save us tech? Can you save us banks? Can you save us? I'm just going to reiterate one thing. From our perspective, this is a public health crisis. The only people who can save us is the federal government uh, flattening the curve and getting the pandemic out of, under control. Even if uh, banks offer all the relief in the world, sooner or later it's going to run out if our economy doesn't bounce back. And our economy will only bounce back if people feel like it's safe and healthy to go outside. You know, we've seen other countries like Sweden who chose not to close down at all. And their economy still tanked because there was fear about spreading pandemic. And a lot of people have, have, uh, have died there, uh, which is really sad. And so there's only one solution out of this. It is about the federal government getting the pandemic under control.
0: Well, I would imagine at this point, uh, maybe the best advice you could give to people until this public health crisis is over or until we flatten the curve, wear a mask, huh?
3: Yeah, absolutely. People talk, ask us all the time, how can I help small businesses? The first thing we say is wear a mask, respect physical distancing. Uh, the the more we can kind of bring this together, uh, the better we'll be. You know, in June, we were on the upswing. Our small businesses were seeing a pathway out of this. Uh, and then to be honest, July 4th happened. And a lot of people saw a lot of other people. And they didn't necessarily wear masks when they did it. And our infection rate doubled uh, in two weeks. And so we're, we can see the real active result of people... Um, every personal decision you make has huge implications.
0: And we'll bring another caller on. That's Ruth. Ruth, thank you for waiting. Join us. You're on Forum.
5: Thanks. I am a small business owner. I opened a preschool in 1994, and we've been shut since the pandemic shut down on March 16th. Um, It's the saddest thing in my life not to go to school every day. Um, I'm sorry. And I think that um, when people talk about whether schools can reopen safely or not, They need to discuss the fact that by being open, you might be participating in the death of one of your students or probably more likely the death of one of their parents. And I just can't see opening preschools where children are too little to separate, slobber and put things in their mouth all day long. And if they had masks on, they'll take them off. They'll put another child's mask on. It seems untenable to even consider opening schools for children under the age of five.
0: Well, thank you, Ruth. Appreciate hearing from you, and I'm glad you called us. I'm going to read some responses uh, to some of the guests we've spoke with. We had uh, call-outs just a moment ago uh, to the owner of Prima for 47 years, and Rick writes, I moved to Walnut Creek in 1977, the year Prima opened, and it has always been one of the best places in the area. When we wanted a classy dining experience, it was always in the top of our list. I walked by it yesterday and saw it closed, and it's very sad to me. I wish the owners the best. Uh, and uh, John Rittmaster was was with us. Also, um, uh, we got a comment, uh, Neil Gottlieb was with us uh, praising the ice cream uh, that uh, was his company. We're talking about Bay Area businesses that have closed for good during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm just wondering, though, uh, Jay Cheng, if I can go back to you. Uh, there are stories of people who have made it in terms of um, – I hate to use that word because it's overused, but pivoting, you know, toward takeout or uh, much less often in terms of revenue, but who have been able to sustain and others who have found more inventive ways to stay open. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. You know, one of my favorite stories is Cassava um, in the Outer Balboa. It's a restaurant, uh, Japanese-American Fusion, excellent restaurant. When the pandemic first happened, they immediately pivoted over to uh, cook at home meals. Uh, and you could buy a meal kit from them, feeds four people for a hundred dollars. And uh, they would try and sell um, it to you once a week. And it was a really great innovation. Since then, they've pivoted again to becoming a grocery store. Uh, and now they're a grocery store in outer Balboa. You know, I think the story with these is that people are trying so hard to innovate, so hard to stay alive. And Cassava, they're not making money over this. They are doing this to keep their employees employed and to keep, um, their vendors' contracts paid. They're trying to be a good business, a responsible citizen. And so it's not like they're making money from this. In fact, they're, they're losing money from this day over day, but they're trying to be part of their neighborhood. I think that's really inspiring from the stories that we're hearing from folks who are trying to pivot and, and uh, go one more week.
0: And there are people who really feel welded to the community, and the community feels certainly tied and bonded to them. I mean, this is having such a now, let me read a tweet from a listener named Pete who says, what a hard program to listen to. So much suffering, which is impossible for the soulless fool in Washington to even acknowledge, let alone accept responsibility for. Never forget the incompetence and ignorance, which is perpetuating this avoidable catastrophe. Jay Chen, good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us this hour. Appreciate you.
3: Thank you for having me
0: again, as public policy director of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, we also spoke with Stephanie Palladino, former owner of Bombshell Brows, and Neil Gottlieb, founder of Three Twins Ice Cream that closed in April, and Kenlyn Wilson, owner of Kenlyn, and John Rittmaster, former co-owner of Prima Italian Restaurant. Thank you for being a part of this morning's program. For all of us here at KQED Public Radio, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny.
5: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the
7: Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum.
2: I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya! How?! The left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.